The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Today, we're going to have a special episode that tells the story of three women who entered the ministry from 1970 through 2018. Each of them had very different experiences as the role of women changed over the years. Reverend Bobby McKay has been ordained for over 50 years and overcame a number of challenges as she created a unique path for her ministry. As we hear Bobby's story, my co-host, Reverend Beth Long Higgins, who was ordained almost 20 years after Bobby, and Reverend Beth Geddert, who was ordained three years ago, will share their own experiences. I had had this profound God experience probably in 1964, and I began to think about going into ministry. Well, that was really crazy. And of course, in 1967, women were not welcome at seminary, and the closest seminary was a Methodist seminary. And they particularly did not want any women, and they didn't especially want a married woman with children because my place was in the home. So they let me in on a provisional basis that I would have to demonstrate that I was both worthy and able to do. So they admitted me, and I was provisional for a year. And then the compromise was, well, okay, we won't let her take Bible or preaching or theology. How about pastoral counseling? That would be good. And because I had an undergrad degree in psychology, that was okay with me. But that eliminated me from the mainstream of the seminary. I learned nothing about the church. And then they hoped I would go away and not ask to be ordained, but I didn't go away. And so the compromise was to pronounce me as a non-unanimous candidate for ministry publicly. And when I spoke to the bishop, he said afterward, he said, nobody's going to hire you. We don't want a woman. Nobody wants a woman. And that was the end of my seminary education and my relationship with the Methodist Church. In a minute, we'll learn how Bobby navigated her ministry after she was ordained. But first, let's hear from Reverend Beth Long Higgins and Reverend Beth Geddert, whose experiences were quite different than Bobby's. I was ordained about 18 years after Bobby. And as a woman in ministry, I am just so thankful for what she and others in her generation did to enable me to be a minister. And I am here with my pastor, the Reverend Beth Geddert, and I invited Beth to be a part of a conversation just as women clergy who have followed in Bobby's legacy. And Beth, do you just want to tell a brief who you are or how long you've been ordained? So I was ordained three years ago, two year 33 years ago. I'm 41 years old. Uh, I started seminary at age 34, but eventually discerned that pastoral ministry was where my calling was. And I think it had always been my calling, but I didn't have any female ministers growing up. And so this thing that had always been stirring in me, uh, I, I didn't have a way to recognize it because I didn't have any models for it. When I was finishing seminary, my home church, they were looking for a new senior pastor. And 
they specifically said that they would not call a woman in ministry. And I thought, how hypocritical is this? <laughs> right. That you are going to ordain me, but you're not going to be welcome to be our pastor here. Right. Since then, there have been women on staff in that church, but over wow. 30 years later, I've not had a woman who's been a senior pastor. The next chapter in Bobby's story after her ordination came from the initiative of a group of women in a suburban Chicago church. Almost immediately, the women called me and said, we're interested in hiring you as a minister to the women of the church. I was thrilled because as far as the, the Methodist church was concerned, there was no job. So we talked, they said, this is what we want, we'll give you your own office. And I said yes, and they said, wonderful, we'll start it next day. What they didn't do was to talk to anybody on the staff of the church. They didn't talk to the senior minister, nor the other clergy involved. So when I arrived, nobody was expecting me. But the women had determined that this was important. And for me, it was another God gift, because there were no jobs available. And so I became extremely controversial at the church. I was not allowed to participate in worship. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even welcomed in the sanctuary. I had an office on the second floor. And my ministry was supposed to be a counseling ministry. But I also started to do groups of people who wanted to talk about God. So we had a woman's group and then another women's group. And then some men said, well, would you do a group? Well, my ministry kept growing. And there was a persistent group of people that really wanted to get rid of me. And I guess got pretty desperate. And one day, half a dozen of them, men and women, walked into my office when I was working with a group. They didn't knock, they walked in. We watched while they picked up my desk and took it out, and my chair, and my telephone, and everything that was on that side, and I said to them, why are you doing this? And they said, because we don't want you here. And I was stunned. So was the group. And the group decided to do something quite amazingly wonderful. They went out and they bought a used desk, and they refinished it. What I loved about it was they didn't go after this group with, how dare you? They did this. If God had not been with me, I couldn't have withstood the anger that some people had for me being there. Finally, after four plus years, the powers that be said, we have to either make this official or ask you to leave. So with a, a very difficult vote and all that, I was finally officially not part of the staff but it was okay that the women had hired me. I stayed there for 10 years and established a program of small groups. Had several women go into ministry based on the fact that I had done that. So I was right at that edge of women really entering into ministry in a more significant way. I followed Bobby 18 years later, and I'm just in awe of her courage that she was hired by this group of women in this congregation who did that. not let the men know, <laughs> right. and did not have them participate, right. because they wanted a pastor who could relate to their experience. I think the story I would tell about the beginning of my ministry would basically be the opposite of the story that Bobby tells. Uh, Zion is the first church that I have pastored as the lead pastor. And it has been incredibly welcoming. It is a very affirming congregation. Everyone there has accepted me. They've accepted my pastoral authority. They've welcomed me with open arms. 
we have that interesting dance of the fact that I'm one of the youngest people in the congregation, and so they sort of simultaneously want to follow me and mother me a little bit, which is something that doesn't happen to men, I'm quite sure. So that's another aspect of being female clergy. A few years ago, I think it was a Christmas Eve service, some of the young women in the congregation who were just graduated high school, maybe in their first years of college, one who just finished college, they were home, of course, for Christmas Eve and greeting each other. And I uh, just caught it out of the corner of my ear as I was walking by. They were talking about how cool they think it is that they have a female pastor. That really warmed my heart. After Bobby left that church, she made a bold step. She decided to start a new kind of church. I decided that I could not go through another church experience of all that hatred. I, I had done it for 10 years. The only way that I could continue my ministry was to begin my own church. So I did an experimental church meeting once a month, Friday night. And it grew to be a lovely interfaith community, and we still meet periodically. I wanted to do an experimental church. I really wanted to look at the church in the broadest context, not just Sunday morning, but how do you do church and open those doors to everybody? We called it the new church. We met the first Friday evening of the month for dinner, which we cooked together, and worship. And then we met one other evening so that you could belong to a traditional church and you could be part of this, which I call the new church, a caring community. And I called it a caring community because I had just lived through nearly 10 years of being in a non-caring community and I wanted to establish it so. And it became almost immediately an interfaith community. Catholics heard about us first, then some Episcopalians drifted in, and then we began to get a few Jewish people, and ultimately at the end we had a Muslim. So what benefit is it to you to, to hear Bobby's story and the story of the other trailblazers, as I call them? Well, I think Bobby's story in particular, for me, had a lot of redemption in it because of all of the things that seminary did not allow her to do. She wasn't allowed to take preaching. She wasn't allowed, I think, to take Bible, maybe, or theology, yeah, one of yeah, those two. Yeah. And so they just shoved her into all of these pastoral care and counseling classes. You know, fine, don't let her in the sanctuary. She's not allowed to be part of worship, but she has this incredible influence in people's personal spiritual lives, right? Like where it I hope to God we preach good sermons, right? But where it really counts is in people's everyday life. And I just feel like the Lord called her and God is going to make a way around whatever boundaries we humans try to put up, right? Like, okay, she can't take theology. That's fine. All this pastoral care that you give her, I'm going to use that. And you won't let her in the sanctuary. That's fine. She's going to have an incredible influence in people's living rooms. Bobby had God moments throughout her life that led her to overcoming problems and finding innovative solutions. More recently, she decided to do research into the God experiences that others have had, eventually partnering with George Gallup and authoring the book, Taking a Chance on God, Exploring God's Presence in Our Lives. Another God moment where I got back in touch with my own experience of God. And I thought to myself, well, if this has happened to me, it's happened to other people. I would like to meet them. So I put together a questionnaire for people to fill out, and then I would have an open meeting opportunity for people to share a God moment if they had one. So at that point, my uh, energy got aroused, and we put it together and came out with 100 churches. 
located all over the United States. And I sent a letter out to each one of them saying, would you let me come in and talk about spiritual life and spiritual healing? I got 99 yeses in about two weeks' time. So it took two years. I uh, took my husband with me, and we covered the whole country. Everywhere I went, people wanted to share God experiences. Bobby eventually expanded the study to Jewish and Muslim congregations. And then through the grace of God, when we had all these groups in the study, I gave a talk to parish nurses in St. Louis. And one of them said, Bobby, you ought to get in touch with George Gallup. I know he'd like what you're doing. So I was able to get his number through the Gallup organization, and I called him. He said, I'd like to meet you. And I said, well, I have my experience, and I have by this time, 2,000 nine-page questionnaires. So just before I met George, 2,000 questionnaires were data processed at Johns Hopkins. So I now had hard data. So George looked at the data and said, will you write a book? And I said, I will. And will you write the foreword to the book? And he said, I will. So we spent several weekends with him in Princeton, and he thought that our data was absolutely on target and we became very close friends. So finally, Bobby began a new career, leading workshops on her research about people's God experiences. So I'm armed now with more material. So I said, okay, God, and developed this spiritual life team concept. So I wrote a small group program for people to learn how to identify their God experiences and share them in a small group setting, and also learn how to pray out loud. And as I've been doing that program since 2013. It's not therapy. It's not we're going to fix you to make you better and happier. It's all about an experience that I have had with God that I am willing to share. And because I hate it when I go to meetings and everybody says, is there a clergy person around so we can pray? And so I have a cause celeb to get lay people to pray out loud. So those are the two goals of the program. As painful as it is for us as women to listen to Bobby's story about her call to ministry and seminary and rejection by the bishop, I am always struck that Bobby lifts up that group that supported her. Again, this is kind of a story of redemption that in spite of the church, the spirit was still working yeah. and moving her to use her gifts. And not only that that group within the church, but then the fact that she started her own community that would meet on Friday nights. Yeah. And it wasn't in competition with churches. I mean, it's but interfaith. It's, it's so cool. Interfaith. And, but it was paying attention to the spiritual needs of yes. those who are around her. And I think that's the another part of the redemptive story. It's mm -hmm. church. It's not all about you and your rules of who's mm -hmm. in and who's out. Right. If, you know, she, I think she called it a caring community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that at its best, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Right. Care for one another so that we have the strength and the courage that we need to take on the things in the world that are not like Christ. In our next episode, we'll meet David Rao and hear about his experience hiking the entire Appalachian Trail. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes.
Audio production and interviews were conducted by Delmar Fellow Eric Johnson.